We are going to go through the book of Philippians. We'll continue to the book of Philippians. Uh, I want to read uh, very quickly a passage before we jump into Corinthians that is going um, to echo what Paul is going to say. Today, Paul, here is going to be the thesis of the message. Very simple, very easy. Paul is going to urge us, as he urges the um, church in, in Philippi, to let your light shine before men. Now, we have heard this a lot throughout church. Um, you've probably heard the song, I wasn't raised in the church, and I've heard the song, This Little Light of Mine. I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine. I don't know all the words, but you've heard that song before, right? And so we've sang it to our kids. We've heard it. Um, you would be probably amazed to know that this word light is used over 200 times in the Bible. That God and Jesus throughout Scripture uses this word light quite often. And Paul today is going to urge us as Christians, let your light shine before men. Jesus urged us, let your light shine before men. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, simply just listen and you'll see how many times this word light is being used. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light, there it goes again, a lamp and put it under a basket. Put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This word is used over 200 times. The first time we see this word used in the English language in the Bible is Genesis chapter 1. You want to take a guess? God said, let there be. So I want you to get this picture. Um, everything was incredibly dark, and you see in Genesis 1, it was dark, pitch black as God is creating. This is how we've always thought of this narrative. God creates, says, let there be light. Jesus comes in, says, I am the light of the world. And here's what he says. You are the light of the world, speaking to us, those who are Christians, saying a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So what he is saying is when, when you are connected to Christ and you are living for Christ, that your light will shine in a dark world. As this world is corrupted with sin and there is incredible darkness, when God created, the place was dark, and he said, let there be light. Sin entered, and it was dark again because of sin. When Jesus entered, he says, I am the light of the world. But now Jesus says, everything else in this world is broken. Everything else is dark. Everyone else is just a shell. They are not lit up inside. They are not filled with the Holy Spirit. So he is saying, I am the light of the world. Jesus came in a broken, broken world, and he gave hope to a broken, broken world. When Jesus comes in, he says, I am the light of the world. What is Jesus doing? He is restoring the image of his father that has been marred by sin. So when Jesus begins to ascend back to the father, here's what takes place. He then leaves the Holy Spirit as a deposit. I want you to think about this. Without the Holy Spirit, you are nothing more but an empty shell. 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, you are dead in your trespasses. So before Jesus entered your life, you may have something going on, but you are empty inside. So those who place their faith in Jesus, this is how Jesus restores the image of his Father. This is how people are redeemed. You place your faith in Jesus, you're lit up. Because the Holy Spirit lights you up. You are dead, you are dark, and you are empty. Which means in a dark world, guess what? You have Jesus who was set apart and lived differently. You now have the apostles who are set apart and lived differently. The apostles preach and over 3,000 are saved. Now this is the first church in the book of Acts. So now this Holy Spirit is beginning to multiply what was in darkness. Let's fast forward now. Here are you at North Phoenix Baptist Church. If you're a Christian, you heard the gospel at some point and you are, have been lit up with the Holy Spirit. You're supposed to be different. This word continues to go on in the Holy Spirit. Spirit and the Spirit of God begins to multiply, redeeming people back to himself in a dark, dark world. But I want you to realize something. He says to let your light shine, which means it should be evident that amongst a dark world that you are living for Jesus Christ. The danger today in this world is a lot of people call themselves Christians but don't look much different. There's a great danger when the greatest danger we can have is an ambitious person who who loves to talk about how much they go to church and how much they know the Bible. But when you look at the fruit of their life, they look just like the world and they fit in with the darkness. Listen, we are called to be set apart and to look differently from our the things around us in the culture and world we live in. At work, when people are cutting corners, when people are doing things you're not supposed to be doing, you don't let your light turn off so you can fit in. Absolutely not. What you do is, I'm supposed to look different. At, in your family gatherings, I'm supposed to look different. You're supposed to look different to be set apart. Why is this incredibly important? I want you to see what Paul is going to say. He is going to share the same sentiment that Jesus has shared and that the Father has shared. So let's look at Philippians chapter 2 as we continue through this. And here's what I want to share with you today. This is simply going to be the application to what we heard last week. This is the um, elementary application of the Word of God. Verse 12. He starts off by saying, therefore. Anytime uh, you see therefore in Scripture, you must read the text and passage before that. You have to ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? That's how you know, if I want to read this within its proper context, I have to see what was before this. If you weren't here last week, here's, here's what we talked about. Last week was a uh, tough sermon uh, because we spoke to pride and humility. Was it tough for anybody? Try being the guy who's preaching it who doesn't have it all together. And so here's what we talked about. Um, pride and humility. So Paul is saying, based off of humility of Christ, he says, therefore, my beloved, talking to the church, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. So here's what he says. If you want to stand out, if you want to live a life where people say, that person must be a Christian, he's saying, work out your own salvation. And be very clear, he is not saying that we work to attain salvation. He is saying you work because you have salvation. So in other words, here's what he's saying. Christians, practice what you preach. Christians, practice what you preach. So um, here's what, the way this would go. It would be like if you're here last week, 
Uh, or if you weren't here last week, here's what I talked about. I talked about um, how Scripture says that God sees pride as abomination. He detests pride. He is disgusted by pride. And I talked about people who are filled with pride, how they love to seek honor and praise. They're conceited. They, they, they are threatened by gifted people. They only seek their own interests. They struggle to submit to authority. A prideful person last week would have heard that and thought one of two things. I'm upset because he's saying these things. He didn't even know me like that. Number two, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. <laughs> Nobody thought that. And so what he is saying is like, you take this information, many of us left here, sobered up and realized God really does not like pride. We were sobered up to be reminded that there's a great temptation in our culture where self-promotion is the way to get your way. And self-promotion is a huge temptation. In fact, I was at a, a pastor's conference recently and John Maxwell spoke to the pastors and, and, and he spoke to the pastors and you can hear a pin drop. John Maxwell told the pastors this, in a room filled with pastors who he was speaking to the fact how pastors love to self-promote themselves. They love to self-promote their books they wrote. How pastors want to use their social media to build their name, to use God's name to build their own kingdom. And how pastors are just ego tripping. He's saying all these things. I'm sitting here listening. And then he says this. He says, the truth is, if you're good at what you do, there's no need to self-promote. Then he said this. And if you're bad at what you do, self-promotion won't help you anyway. And the pastors are like, hmm. This, this, is, this is what he is saying. He's like, listen, don't hear that God detests pride and you leave here and keep doing the same things you've been doing. He said, he said no, you need to fight against these realities. So here's what he's saying. Look, uh, if you're doing your quiet time and you're having this time with the Lord, it, it's, I've done it before when I had social media, but you put your Bible, put your coffee cup, time with God. Or it's like you're, you're, you're reading it and take a picture of yourself. Like, who's actually taking the picture? I'm kind of confused. Like, what's going on right now? Or you're serving somebody and you're like, hey, can you, can you, can you stretch your hand out while I give you a dollar? And I'm going to take a picture of us too. Like, and so here's what he's saying. It's like, look, you've heard that God detests that. Don't self-promote yourself. In fact, Scripture says that there's your reward right there. And Scripture says, like, if you want to self-promote yourself, in fact, listen to what Scripture says. It should be a little more sobering uh, when, the, when the Bible says it this way in Matthew chapter 6. Listen to this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So watch this. The Bible is, Jesus is telling us when you practice good deeds in order for people to see you good, doing good deeds, that is your reward that other people saw you. That's it. It stops right there. But he is saying this. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. One of the top reasons why people leave the Christian church is because Christians are judgmental, is what the studies show, and that they're hypocritical. So the scripture is speaking to this. Do not do that because when you do it, you look just like the world. And he says this, truly I say to you that they have 
receive their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Watch this. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So I want you to hear this. I want you to hear that when we let our light shine, we do good works so they may know our Father in heaven, that there is a motive behind these good works. One is to glorify ourselves. One is to point people to Jesus. And here's where you have to check your motive. Here's the dangerous part, that we want everyone to see our good works and we post it. And we, when you post it to, do, to be self-promoting, you forfeit the reward that God has for you. Is what the Bible says. Let me tell you what's even scarier. Some of us will hear that and you will leave here and you will still forfeit your reward from God for 150 something likes on social media. Think about how often we do that. Think about how often we know what God has said, but we're so addicted to the likes that we're willing to forfeit what the word of God is saying to build our own platform and kingdom. And he is saying, look, you want 150 likes? Congratulations, that's all you got. Look, you want people to look at how great you are? The truth is they're looking at you and saying, man, they're self-promoting. You ain't getting what you want anyway. He's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to serve God in a way that points people to God. I want people to look at your life and say, I want to know who their father is because of the way they respond and act. And so in Philippians, Paul is saying, look, church, it's not going to be easy, but work out. Practice what you preach. Practice, work out. Work out what you preach. It's going to be hard. Let me tell you why it's going to be hard. Work out what you preach. Work out means that there is free will, that God is not going to force us to be obedient. This is why he is telling them to obey, that you have free will to obey or not obey. So in this one sentence, you see the word salvation, which is a work of God. So in one sentence, you have the work of God, whether you call it predestination or predetermined, you have salvation sitting here. So you have the work of God versus the work of man. If you're wondering how these two things come in line, how does the work of God marry with the work of man? And here's the easiest way I can put free will and predestination and God's sovereignty and salvation here is I'll just share with you, you are not responsible for your salvation. You had nothing to do with your salvation. My belief is that if you responded to the Spirit of God, it's because He gave you the, enough grace and faith to respond to Him. And so this free will, can you reject it? Yeah, you can reject it. So there's free will and there's, there's God's sovereignty. How does this work? Here's the easiest way I can tell you for the free will portion. Uh, live as if it depends on you. For the salvation sovereignty portion, trust as if it depends on God. Live as if it depends on you. Trust as if it depends on God. So here's what he's saying. Christians, live as if it depends on you. Obey means you need to do something. Live this out. Fight self-promotion. Fight it. You're going to want to do it, but fight it. Salvation. Trust as if it depends on God. And then here is a lost art, a phrase he uses that I feel like is a lost art today in Christianity. Watch this, with fear and trembling. You know what this means? That we should have a holy fear of God, have a reverence for God. 
I think in our generation, it's incredibly dangerous that we have lost, in my opinion, we have lost the healthy fear and reverence of a holy and mighty God because we are too, much, too dependent on grace that we have stopped pursuing his holiness. And that's what happens, is that we just, we just say, hey, God will forgive us. We can just live the way we want. And the most dangerous thing for you to do or any Christian is to begin to lose the conviction of your sin. That we sin so much and we lean so much on his grace that we stop pursuing holiness and we stop fearing this perfect and holy God. That's why we can go out and self-promote after we've read scripture where God said he detests it. Not only does he detest it, he opposes it. And we can leave here and say amen and walk out there and keep doing this. How can we do that? Because we've lost the healthy fear of a powerful and mighty God. That's how that happens. He is powerful, he is holy, he is mighty, and he shares his glory with no man or woman. And that's why he says, I, I oppose that heart and that attitude. And so he, this is what Paul is saying, work it out, live it, and live it with a healthy fear and trembling. A healthy one where, you're, where you have this fear of God. You want your light to shine? Let people know you fear being disobedient. People have stopped fearing disobedience. People have stopped fearing disobedience to a mighty God. We've lost the fear of obedience to our Father. And so he is saying, obey, have a healthy fear. When I was a kid, I was, I was raised in a household that was, we went to the Catholic church every once in a while, but we were kind of a Christer family. Christmas and Easter is all we went to, to the Catholic church. So we were kind of Christer family. And, and I'll never forget, like, the, the, it was a unhealthy fear of God was put in me. When I was a child, they would say, hey, uh, my mom would say, God is going to punish you if you sin. Well, at four or five, I thought she said, he's going to punch me. <laughs> and so every time I was about to sin, it didn't stop me from sinning, by the way, but every time I was about to sin, I, I just thought, where's this fist going to come from that it's going to punch me? And then as I got older, I recognized, oh, you mean punish, which still just as scary. And so I lived where I was terrified that if I mess up, God is going to be really angry with me. And if I mess up, God's not going to love me. And this is kind of how I lived my life, terrified. Now, today, I live not from a place of fear, but a place of gratitude. And the easiest way to be surrendered, submitted, and obedient to God is to not forget what he's done for you in your life is to have a heart of gratitude to recognize, yeah, I had these addictions. I was, I was sinning all the time. I was doing all this stuff. I was depressed. I had anxiety. I wanted to commit suicide. My life was broken. But God came in, and I'm so grateful for that. Because of that, I will be obedient. You are such a good and mighty God. That's the kind of obedience he's talking about here. Don't forget what God has done for you. So he says, with fear and trembling, watch this, for it is God who works in you. Who works in you? God who works in you. He is doing the work in you. Why is he doing the work in you? Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. But I want you to see something. Many of us want to experience God's will, work, and good pleasure in our life without being obedient. You cannot experience, that's a strong phrase. Let me reverse that. I doubt whether you can experience because God can do anything. I doubt whether or not you will experience the work and will of God in your life if you're not obedient. 
And so the first thing he called you, obey, work it out, and watch God work. Now, here's what he goes on to say next, which is very challenging in the Christian church today. Do all things without grumbling. Uh-oh. The pause right there. This is why I love the Bible, because the Bible just defines and speaks for itself. This word grumbling is the same word that's used for the Israelites out in the wilderness in the Old Testament. The Israelites, Israelites in the wilderness in the Old Testament would constantly grumble all the time. In fact, this word grumbling in the Greek is a, a, like a tone. It's a, uh, that's what it means. Uh. You ever recognize when people complain and grumble, they change the tone of their voice? You ever recognize that? Man, wait till you hear what so-and-so did. Mm-mm-mm. Know what I'm saying? Watch, today when you go to lunch, and people grumble about this sermon, like, that's what he was talking about, right there. <laughs> that's what this Greek word means. It literally is like, <clears throat> it's an internal frustration. Like, <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> In fact, it's the same thing when Jesus spit and, and put over the blind man's eyes. That word for spit is putu. It's the sound of a spit. This is what this is. It's the sound of a grumble. It's, oh. But so if he's using this and he's saying, don't grumble, here's what he's saying, just like the Israelites. Here's who the Israelites grumbled about. They grumbled about each other. They grumbled about God. They grumbled about the leadership. So if you look at the Israelites, he's saying, do not do this. There's an internal frustration, internal grumble. And then he says, or disputing. This means this internal frustration that we all have, by the way, turns into an external venting. So uh, here's what he's saying. Why is it important that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, look, let me break down the scripture, make it very simple for us. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you go into the workplace, they know you're a Christian, and they start to cut corners, and they start to grumble about the leadership and the authority, and you're like, yeah, I know. Here's what he's saying. When you begin to grumble, your light turns off in the workplace. Like, this is crazy to think about. This is literally what this verse is saying. Let your light shine. How? Don't grumble. So it's like we do this. We can go on the way to work. We'll listen to the Christian radio. You know, it's all good. It's, and then all of a sudden we get to work, your light goes off. You can get in your marriage. I'll leave that one alone. You can, <laughs> you can get in, in your, your, your friend group and you can, you know, you guys all love Jesus. And the grumbling starts like there goes the light over here. And <laughs> you never know how the light's going to turn off. I mean, sin travels. Sin travels. And, 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 and so here's what he's saying. He's saying, but, but, but here's the thing throughout your life. And here's how some of us live our lives. We get to church. Oh, yeah, we're super Christian. You get to work. They can't tell the difference. Right? Or we're here today, and I've said some things that are true from the Bible, and you're, you're, not, you're, you're frustrated with me. Right? And you're like, man, I don't, I don't like what he said because it's true, and I don't want to admit it's true. And, and then so you have these, I mean, it's just, it's just or you, you, you know, you, you go on social media, and we're out here preaching, we love Jesus. And your bio, your bio says that you love Jesus, but you're posting. Know what I'm saying? And, and it's like, look, when you grumble, when you sin, the light just turns off and on. And some of our lives are just like, depending on where we are, is how our light shines. Right? Saturday night? Hey, what's up? <laughs> Sunday morning? All to you I surrender, I surrender all. 
after church, he was tri- that pastor's tripping. He's tripping. <laughs> Come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's, but let's be real. That's how our lives look, right? Let's just be real. Like we, we all struggle with this stuff. And I know it's very elementary, but this is what he's saying. It's like, yeah, yeah, let your light shine, because when it doesn't, you look just like the world. Now, have you ever had a moment where your light didn't shine, you messed up? You ever had that moment? Let's be honest. You ever had that moment? Y'all know I'm a Christian, right, before I tell you this story. (laughs) And here's why I want to tell you, because I wish I can tell you, like, let me preach this to you. I got it down. I'm good. I'm not. And I, my son has been on on this baseball team uh, for two years. And when I go in to places, I don't want to tell people I'm a pastor right off the bat. Because typically they treat me differently. And I want them to be shocked, like, you're a pastor? And when they find out. Not because I've been sinning, but because they just, <laughs> because they just, because I'm so normal to some degree. You guys get it, right? And so uh, this, this team is eventually like begin to find out, the parents are beginning to find out, like, that he's a pastor. And so, you know, we talk through things. I'm trying to be a light on the team. And um, we're trying to do the best that we can to, to give them Jesus. Uh, and so, man, I'll tell you, um, if you've ever been to a, a, a kid's sporting event, every parent thinks their child is going to the big leagues or going to play NBA basketball or every, like, it's, and it gets, listen, I was there too. I was like, you see that, honey? You see the way he spun? That means he's going to be, yeah, he's going to be something one day, you know. And so, but it gets just, it gets absolutely crazy. And I've always told myself, don't get crazy. And I have gotten crazy sometimes, but not a horrible crazy, just internal crazy. And, and I've grumbled a lot. And I've talked to my wife, and I'm like, oh, they're crazy, you know. This past Saturday, I, I really felt like I've done so well for two years, and I'm just telling you as your pastor to give you hopes so you're not alone, and I felt like I've been doing awesome for two years, like, I'm, I'm good at this. And I felt like this Friday night, my light on the team went, let me tell you what happened. Because y'all nosy, I know y'all want to know what happened. (laughs) So, before the game started, my son came up to me, and his team's warming up, and he he just looked frantic. He's 11. He said, Dad, some parents were just heckling me before the game. And they were saying stuff about me and saying stuff to me. And he was shaking. I said, come here. What are, why are you shaking, son? I said, what are you afraid of? He's like, I'm afraid of those parents who were saying stuff to me. And he's shaking. And so I looked at him. I was like, this is why daddy works out, son. <laughs> no. No. But what I did tell him, I said, hey, look at me. I got, son, I'm, I'm your protector. No one's going to touch you on this field. I got you, son. You understand that? I'm your protector. So here's what I believe. I believe um, in my household, I'm the priest, prophet, and king. Let me explain that. The priest prays on behalf of the people. So I pray on behalf of my family. I, I go to God on behalf of my children, on behalf of my wife. I'm the priest. It's what I do. If you are, are a parent and you're not praying for your kids, who is? Let me ask you that. In, the, in this room today, if you have children you're not praying for them, who's praying for them? That's your job. That's my job. So I'm praying for my kids. I'm prophet. 
The prophet in scripture speak the word of God over the people. So I speak the word of God over my family. I'm king. And I don't mean king like, hey, here's my scepter, bow down. And that's not what I mean. The kings provide and they protect. And so I'm king. I provide and I protect. And so I, that's how I live. And, I, and I've never had to protect my family in this way. And um, he goes, he starts playing. And I go sit down and I hear the dude over there starting to heckle my son. And I'm in that moment thinking, all right, do I get up and potentially ruin my witness to this entire team that I've been witnessing to? Or do I sit here and let him keep heckling my son? How many of y'all say, I know my pastor, he went up there and he said something? Oh, only like three of y'all? Y'all think y'all pastor's a punk, huh? How many of y'all would say, Pastor, I really hope you didn't get up and say something? There's only one of you, so I'm going to tell you what I did. I'm going to keep it real. Keep it 100 today. I'm human. So here's what I did. I sat there and I thought, listen, you have to understand something. I, I grew up without a, without a protector. No father in the household. I never knew what it meant for someone to stand up for me. I lived insecure and unstable. I needed my son to know that dad wasn't going to give the guy smoke. I wasn't trying to get in a fight. But he needed to know the rest of his life. He has a protector. He has a protector. So I sat there and that dude, my son, hit the ball and he popped out to center field. And that man, great job, buddy. Great job to an 11-year-old boy. I said, no, he's getting a smoke today. So... I'm, I'm serious. I didn't come in hot, but I came in to where he knew you can't do this. So here's what I did. I'm just confessing before you as a church. That's, I've been priest and prophet. I'm king today. So I got up. And my wife said, honey, I said, I got this girl. And so I came over. And I turned, I was like, and you know, I turned, kept going. So I, he was sitting down and I didn't, I want, you have to, I don't want you to think, I, you can't listen to me preach because I'm human. I went up to him and I said, sir, that's my son. I'm going to need you to, to stop heckling my 11-year-old son. And he stood up. And when you stand up, that means you want to do something. He stood up and I was like, sir, you say whatever you want about my son. You're probably right anyway. I need to. No, no. He, he stood up and I said, sir, I, he's 11 years old. I'm going to need you to stop doing that. And he got aggressive. I didn't get aggressive. He got aggressive. And I, mean, I got a little bit aggressive, but <laughs> I walked back. That's it. That's all that happened, by the way. Y'all were hoping, you were hoping I got in a fight, didn't you? No, no, no. I walked, because I needed to preach this Sunday. So I walked off. <laughs> and I went and sat back down. And I felt, I, I really did feel this. I felt like the entire team I was like, this is this pastor. And I felt like the parents thought, he's just like us. I thought, I ruined it. I ruined it. So I went to them. Started talking to the parents. And I probably wasn't perfect. I was sharing my frustrations. And I said, I probably should have done that. But I needed my son to know that he has a protector. And I hope that my little statement of, I probably should have done that. I hope that I, hope that I just corrected it. Some of them are like, yeah, you should have, you know, and so I, I, I hope they were okay with it. But here's what was awesome. We got in the car, 
My son and I are by ourselves and we're going home. I said, son, I want you to know it's never okay to go pick a fight with anybody. It's not what dad was doing. But son, you need to know that you will always be protected. You need to know that when you can't stand up for yourself, dad will stand up for you. You need to be secure. When you can't stand up for yourself, when the fight is too strong, dad will stand up for you. I heard the sweetest words that I can hear from my son. Thank you, dad. Thank you. Here's what he said. Thank you for being my dad. Listen, listen. When Christ came into the world and he died on the cross for you and for me, and that light came on to give us life, he did something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And we were dead in our trespasses. We were overpowered. And our protector, our savior, came in and did something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. How can we keep that a secret? So when he is saying, let your light shine before men, let it shine. Here's what he is saying. I have stood up for you. How could you not tell people about me? You don't have to know the whole Bible, but tell them I was dead in my trespasses. I was addicted. I was discouraged. But Jesus, tell them, yes, I was hopeless. I had a lot of sin. But Jesus, tell them in the workplace. Tell them at home. Tell everybody what Jesus has done. Let your light shine. You won't be perfect, but tell people how Jesus has done something for you that you cannot do for yourself. What Jesus has done should leave us confident. And you know what's even crazier is here's what Paul says. Why is this important? Here's what he's saying. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Look differently in this world. A crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Let me really blow your mind. See, here's what normally happens. Uh, the sin comes in, and this, this world is so messed up, and you're going to see more and more of this thing being taken out of its context. You're going to find people who are taking the Word of God and finding loopholes in it so that they can be comfortable in their sin. You're going to find people who no longer see this as the authority. You're going to find people who are going to see this, and this is old school thinking. This will one day probably become hate speech for preaching the truth. And what I'm telling you is what the scripture is saying is this world is going to get darker and it's going to get darker and it's going to get darker and it's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker before Jesus comes back. It's not going to get better. It's going to get darker and darker and darker. And what he's saying is in a dark, dark, dark world, you are to be the lights that you should never fit in. You should never fit in. The danger is this, that we fear man more than we do God. So when we get around something that's countercultural or won't make people happy because they'll call us bigots, we'll turn our light off so that we can fit in. The problem is we were never called to fit in. And so when Jesus is saying, be different, let your light shine. This word light in Genesis chapter 1, by the way, means order. See, what we've always been taught was this, that God said, let there be light. And we've always pictured that this light bulb went off. That word light in the Hebrew is actually or. It means to bring order to something that is chaotic. 
So when Jesus is telling us to let your light shine, you know what he's saying? Bring order to your workplace that is chaotic. You be the person of stability and of righteousness and of unity. Bring order to your household of something that's chaotic. Bring order, bring healing. This is what Jesus has done. This word light means to bring order to something that is broken. Bring order to something that is chaotic. So what he is calling us to do that is that when we obey the word of God, we bring order to a dark, dark world. When we obey the word of God, we bring order, we bring healing, we bring redemption, we bring restoration, and we bring the love of Christ to a broken, broken world who is deeply in need of a savior. So we are not perfect. We do not have it together. The band's gonna come up and I'm gonna challenge you before we vote. There are some of us in here that you would say, you know what, Pastor? I don't look any differently than the world, and God is calling me to surrender. Listen, you, the only reason why this thing lights up is because of what it's connected to. The only reason why Christians light up is because of who we're connected to. Some of you are just connected to the wrong source. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I'm two out of four. I need to find a way to let God use me. Here's my challenge for you is just wherever you're at with God, wherever you're at, just surrender it all to him. Surrender it all. If you've messed up in some areas of your life, it's not too late. It's never too late. Ecclesiastes 9. The living have hope, which means as long as you are breathing, there is hope. There is hope. Father, we ask you this morning. There's so much temptation, God. So much temptation to sin. So much temptation to self-promote. So much temptation to grumble. So much temptation to talk bad about one another. And it amazes me how easily we can do it without fear of you, God. God, would you instill in us this morning through the Holy Spirit and every single one of us, including myself, I'm like Paul, I'm like the chief of all sinners. Would you instill in us a Holy Spirit conviction to have a healthy fear of you, God? And gosh, for those that have stopped pursuing holiness and have been swimming in grace, would you give us, God, the strength to pursue holiness? And God, there may be people in here that never received you as your Lord and Savior. They've never known that they've needed you. God, I just pray, if anyone's in here does not know you, Father, that you may stir in their spirit, help them to see a need for you, a need to be forgiven of their sins, a need for the love of God to overcome their lives, a need for forgiveness of our imperfections and our flaws. So, Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word and the challenge of your word. It doesn't always feel good. We thank you for your challenge. God, help us as we leave today to be light in a dark world that desperately needs Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.